This is the Plucked Chicken Podcast. Well, I am joined in studio once again by Pastor Oakery. I'm so delighted that you are back with us. And what we wanted to do this go around is talk a little bit about the catechism. You know, coming from an evangelical background, it is interesting to me how we didn't have a catechism. The Baptists do have something called Baptist Faith and Message, but it's certainly not written like Luther's Catechism or even Westminster Catechism. And so what always intrigued me about Lutheranism early on is how Lutheran pastors spend the bulk of their ministry teaching the catechism. They teach the catechism to children. They teach the catechism to catechumens going through formal catechesis. They teach the catechism in adult catechesis to, obviously, to adults and to folks who are wanting to become members of our particular Lutheran parish. They incorporate what is in the catechism in just about every sermon Lutheran pastors are devoted to teaching the catechism. That's correct. And I think what is so intriguing about the Lutheran approach to the catechism, as opposed to like the Westminster catechism or say the Catholic catechism, is how ingrained the teaching there is kind of pressed upon us. Um, We want our children to know the catechism by heart. Now, maybe that's part of the secret of the catechism and why it's so useful is i don't know if you've ever seen the catholic catechism it's huge yeah i have this giant green novel on my bookcase and not only do you have that but you have a supplement to it that helps you understand all of these things the catholic catechism is a very thorough book it's trying to cover everything the lutheran catechism is comprehensive but not thorough. It's covering everything that you need to know for the faith. So it's comprehensive. But really what it's trying to do is have you ask more questions and dive deeper. And the places you would go to find the answer to that finally are going to be in Scripture. But then the things that unpack Scripture, like the other confessional uh, books and such and such things. What you're saying is, is there's certainly more regarding the Christian faith that the Catechism does not cover at all. But in regard to the essential elements of the Christian faith, small catechism has it in spades. Right. And, and that's what the catechism is meant to do. It's supposed to introduce the faith. And again, I would say that it covers everything that you need, but it doesn't cover it in such a way that you're going to walk away saying, uh, if you're curious, you're, gonna, you're not going to say, well, I have everything I need there. It's going to lead you down new paths. And, and of course, one of the great things about the catechism is, like I said before, how short it is. If you ever see a Lutheran catechism, it doesn't look small. It looks like a small book, kind of like one you would get in in school. The one I'm looking at now, this is not the most recent edition, but counting charts and stuff in the back, almost 300 pages. But the actual catechism itself, the, the document that we teach... Or the document that Luther wrote... Right, is... Much shorter than that. And so um, I think it's 31, 34 pages. Yeah. I mean, it is. And, and this is like well spaced out, lots of pictures and stuff, too. This isn't crammed in there. It's a memorizable document. And it is meant to be memorized in the um, in the old grammar way. You have a grammar, then you have logic, then you have rhetoric. Grammar is learning the learning, getting the building pieces gathered into yourself. 
Logic is learning how to how other people have put those pieces together. And rhetoric is learning how to put those pieces together yourself. We really do need to instill these attacks into the heart of our kids. I think sometimes we do a disservice to our own people by simply having the catechism be this this instructional thing, whether it's a confirmation class that goes two or three years or an adult class, which is going to be much shorter than that and saying, well, here's your textbook for the faith. Because what, what's our instinct with textbooks? When I was in college, I bought a textbook for a class. And then after that class was done, what would you do with it? Uh, you put it on the shelf and uh, schlep it around the country every time you move. <laughs> Maybe, or if you were smarter than you are, because I would keep my textbooks too, you'd go and sell them. Sure. So that someone else could use them. Because you're just like, I'm done with that textbook. I've learned what that textbook has to teach me. I think if we approach the catechism that way, we're setting ourselves up for failure. Kind of like saying, well, I've read through the Bible once, so I never have to open it right. again or something like that. You know, without a catechism, the evangelical or, say, the Baptist would say our catechism is the Bible. And so they're going to spend years and years and years and years and years on Bible stories. And as a result of these isolated Bible stories, it's very difficult to categorize them. They, they seem disconnected from one another. So, for instance, a particular Bible story might lend itself towards a sacramental understanding. But if you just look at it from the perspective of just the Bible story, you and I would say this points to something greater. But they're not going to do that. It's just the Bible story in and of itself. Case in point, Jonah, belly of a great fish as the Bible says. That was pointing to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That is a much bigger story than just a disobedient prophet who was going in one direction and God brought him into another direction. That's certainly a part of the story, but Jesus is the one who picks up on this and says, as Jonah was in the belly of a great fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be. Right. And and I think that is a problem that you see in these people that just, we don't need a catechism, we just have the Bible. Right. Is that they don't have a framework to kind of piece these things together. And and just as you say, I mean, it, it, to me, it doesn't take a tremendous leap to go from Jonah to Jesus talking right. about Jonah and saying, well, maybe I should connect that dot since Jesus did. Right. I mean, that's uh, that's a very clear one. But you're right. So often what Jonah gets presented as is a moral tale. Correct. No better than Aesop's fable. Mm -hmm. and, and here's the lesson your little kids mm -hmm. should learn from it. And they strip Christ out of it. Well, I'll give you another example. Think yeah. about Jesus's baptism. Like for us, we look at Jesus's baptism and our minds can race to Genesis chapter one, where there was darkness over the face of the deep, but the Holy Spirit was there and the word of God was there. And out of this came a new creation. We see Jesus baptized in the scriptures, and we might not liken it to our baptism because the non-denom or the Baptist guy, he's not going to think in terms of the Holy Spirit being there, the Word of God being there, the truth of the new creation and what God is doing in that baptism. So it's just an isolated story, and it's really... It's really robbed of its greater meaning. And the catechism, 
they are the ones that are going to draw this out. And I think you're absolutely right. I mean, what can happen to us is we can we can become trapped in the text that we're in. We can be reading that whole text and, and seeing its context uh, there, but we're missing the broader context of all of Scripture and being drawn into these broader beliefs. And, and I think w- what you're touching on here is, in fact, maybe a, a broader point that that can certainly make certain Christians very uncomfortable. Um, I've talked to Baptists, and they say, well, you talk about that catechism like right. it is the Bible. Right. And you seem to put that ab- over and above the Bible. And and that's certainly not true. Our, we've always said that these confessional documents, the small catechism is one of our confessional documents. They don't supersede Scripture, but they flow out of Scripture. Correct. Uh, and they say, well, why do you need something that flows out of Scripture rather than Scripture itself? And I said, well, for the same reason that you need a pastor to preach on Sunday morning. Um, they're taking this truth and bringing it to us and placing it upon us in the context that we are finding ourselves in that day. Um, that isn't to say that you know you can you can misapply that obviously, but I think you get my point. Is the catechism is trying to take uh, the broad teachings of Scripture and condense them down, and and Luther more than anyone else has done a masterful job of that of condensing the faith down, and he does it using this pattern that's actually very interesting. He grounds himself in scriptural texts, but kind of abstract ones, right? He, he grounds us in uh, the Ten Commandments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not a narrative, right? Which is so what often what we're used to, right? Like, teach me narratively. But now he's like, I'm going to teach you this legal document. And then the creed, which I will, which I will always contend is a, is a scriptural document there's no that the creed isn't given in the bible per se but there's lots of places in scripture where you get creedal formulas and everything that's in that creed is pulled out of scripture and then of course the lord's prayer and those are our big three that we kind of see and then on the back end of that we attach the means of grace baptism confession absolution and the office of the keys the office of the pastor and then uh, finally, the sacrament at the altar. But those are kind of their own little chunk. And so um, when we talk about the catechism, we talk about the six chief parts, and those are them. And that approach is, it can be frustrating, I think. I, I, I think sometimes our kids struggle to, to see what this is doing because they're so used, I think, to being taught narratively sure. or something like that. I'd love to add to that what is beautiful about the Lutheran liturgy and this is the way that I'm teaching adults the catechism now. I'm using the hymn book, and I'm showing how the Lutheran liturgy incorporates every aspect of what you just said. All six chief parts are incorporated into the Lutheran liturgy. And so if you're paying attention to how the liturgy flows, you're being catechized each and every time you come to church in the small catechism. Yeah, and that's the the great joy of it is that you are, right, confession absolution, just like we do in church. Here's the Lord's Supper, here's baptism. Those are the most obvious ones, but then we do confess the creed. We do say the Lord's Prayer. And, and where's the law coming into this? Well, it's coming in and preaching, and, and of course, we, we can't have the gospel without the law. I think that's another interesting aspect of the small catechism is it, it avoids— a lot of the categories that we tend to use in Lutheran circles. There's not a there's not a real strong discussion of law and gospel. He doesn't at least hit it on the nose uh, as directly as he wants to. 
But it's all there implied. The very beginning of the catechism is law. And the very next thing we talk about is what God has done for us. That's the confession of the creed. Well, that's gospel. I want to say that when Luther set out to write the small catechism, and it was based upon his going out and doing visits of churches around his area and actually being appalled by the lack of knowledge in that you didn't just have children who didn't know the Ten Commandments or the Lord's Prayer, but you had adults and even pastors. And so he comes back and he takes other catechisms that were already in existence. He didn't just start with a clean piece of paper, so to speak. But I want to say that in the one that he took, and it obviously was one that he was familiar with, it began with the Apostles' Creed. And he changed it to begin with the law. Have, yes. you, have you heard this? Uh, I have. Okay. And, and I know that that was, there was, and there's still some debate. It, did Luther do that intentionally to, to put a structural force oh, right. I have on no the idea. catechism? I have no idea. Or did he do that just because that seemed like a good... Well, he wasn't doing it to be novel. Like, this is, you know, this is something I'm coming up with and putting my stamp on it. Right. I, I guess my question is this. Is it wrong then to start teaching the catechism with the Apostles' Creed and then maybe go to the, the commandments next or what? I wouldn't say that it is. However, if the way you teach it, which I'm sure you do this, when you teach the three uses of the law and you say the first use is for everybody and it's a curb, but it's that second use of the law that you want to tighten in on and show the theological use of the mirror that is pointing out people's sin. So as Luther set this up, I don't know if this was in his mind, but it certainly makes a lot of sense to afflict a person with their own sinfulness before showing them their Savior. Yes. Although I also think that he fully intended us to come through the Lord's Prayer and back to the Ten Commandments again. Oh, that's great. There's a cyclical nature to the catechism. And again, this is why you can't just treat it like a textbook and put that's it on your That's great. Show. I haven't thought of that. <clears throat> Continue. When you first come into the Ten Commandments, the main thing that it is intended to do is convict you of your sin. And it's always going to do that. Then you, then you hear about God's grace as creator, redeemer, and sanctifier. And you say, oh, that's tremendous. Well, what's our response to that? Our response to that is to live in this relationship that God has established with us in Christ, and that's lived out in prayer and worship and all of those things. And already we're getting connected back to the Ten Commandments because what does the Second Commandment say? Shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Right. And what does this mean? Uh, we should fear and love God so we do not curse, swear, use uh, satanic arts, liar, deceive by his name, but call upon in every trouble... Pray, praise, and give thanks. So already, just the very fact that the Lord's Prayer follows after the creed is putting the commandments in its own in a new context, that this is the third use, and that we are, in fact, calling on the name of the Lord in prayer. And, and swept into that is also worship and all of those things, too. But he, he really grounds it, and I think this is very interestingly. He doesn't do a big a big speech on worship. He says, well, let's, let's ground the Christian life in a life of prayer. And, of course, walking through the the Lord's Prayer, he's drawing us into this place where it's like, oh, our, our life is a life 
not just of receiving grace, but also a life that's obedient in this newfound relationship, this father-child relationship we have that the whole prayer is bound is bound up in. And of course, none of this is ever us forgetting the forgiveness that we have constantly throughout. But all of a sudden, it's like, wow, how do I love and serve my neighbor? And he says, well, just let's come back to the other end, to the Ten Commandments. And now we see them as an opportunity. Going even further, <laughs> if I want to display love toward you, how do I do that? Well, I don't try to entice away anything that is yours. I don't try to scheme to get anything that is yours. I don't steal from you. I don't try to uh, uh, hang out with your wife. Right? These are all practical things that show love toward the neighbor, toward you. Right. And, and, and I think sometimes we don't do a good enough job of teaching that. Like, let's use these things practically in our Christian life to help guide us and how we interact with each other and how we interact with God. And of course, whenever we do that, we're going to encounter failure in that. And so still the second use is looking at us. And then what do we need? We need the creed, which brings us into a life of prayer, which brings us back to the Ten Commandments. And there's the cycle. And this is what I would say. So we're cycling through those first three parts. Where does that cycle live? It lives in our worship. And that's what the second the second set of three parts is, the, the means of grace. That's where we are confessing our sin as revealed to us in the Ten Commandments, but also being forgiven of it. We are receiving the Lord's forgiveness. But I, I love that because what it's saying is the place where this cycle has to exist is in the forgiveness of Christ given to us in word and sacrament. What I want everybody listening to this to appreciate is that there is this wonderful pattern in there that you don't necessarily see unless you're in the catechism regularly. And you're saying, wow, this catechism, which is so simple, is opening up these vistas for, for who I am as a Christian, uh, which is the, the primary thing. It's, it's trying to teach me who I am and who God is, and, and not just in an abstract way, but in a very practical way. Well, what does it mean to be a Christian? Well, it means to pray and, and to uh, love and serve God and my neighbor. It also means to worship and never, never separate myself from the forgiveness of Christ and, and, and how that comes to me in baptism and absolution and uh, in the sacrament of the altar. So in talking about those three there, you think about how baptism not only is the entrance of the person into the church, but when he is confronted with the law, and then he realizes, my goodness, I cannot do this. Let's just skip to baptism. He, he, is, he or she is baptized, and now there's a new want to. That is, this, this is this new creation. This is where Paul speaks about being in Christ. Now there is this, this desire, this unction, I believe is the old-timey word, this unction that says, I want to do these things now. Whereas before, I wasn't necessarily interested in any of these things, but now it becomes my, my new obedience. Right, and, and, and that new obedience language is so important, and, we, and the catechism really brings us into that. Again, it's always going to be a cycle, though, which can be deeply frustrating for us in our sinful flesh. What we want is this line just shooting off the chart. Sure. And, and my new obedience is overcoming every right, bad sure. thing. And, and it's not. It's never going to in this life. On mm -hmm. this side of eternity, it's not going to. And you just accept that. Now, that, but what that means is a Christian is living in a constant state of tension. And tension isn't fun. <laughs> People don't like living under tension. 
But that's what we're called to live under as Christians, is this constant tension between me as sinner and me as saint, this constant tension of, of me as an obedient child, but also a, a disobedient slave to sin. In saying that, you think about what baptism does. It's God's work. It's not your work. God is the one who puts this new want to or this uh, new desire, this new creation that is in you. But as you just said, we're still going to struggle with that old Adam. And so because of that, what, what else has God provided? As you've already pointed out, you just follow through the small catechism. You go from baptism. Now he's provided your pastor who's going to absolve you of your sins. But that's not the only thing that he provides. He also provides his very body and blood upon the altar for you to eat and drink for the forgiveness of your sins. It's almost this um, Old Testament Exodus type of picture where we are wandering around in the desert for years and years and years on the way to the promised land. Our great Messiah, Jesus Christ, is the one who went to the devil himself and said, let my people go, led us through the Red Sea, which, as Peter says, pictures your baptism. Now we eat of a heavenly food. There's so many pictures there. And see, this is the point that I was trying to make earlier. A child can learn what I just got through saying about the Exodus. But if we don't tie those things to baptism, like the Bible does, and if we don't tie those things to the sacrament of the altar, like the Bible does, if we don't tie these things, then the promised land just becomes Israel. No! The promised land pictures the new heavens and the new earth wherein righteousness dwells. Right, and that is, I mean, the biblical language throughout is about us as sojourners, right? I am but a stranger here. Heaven is my home. That kind of language is accurate and true. Baptism is something that we're always coming back to. The The main place that is revealed to us in the service is when we cross ourselves, because Luther is very clear about why we cross ourselves. We cross ourselves in remembrance of our baptism. And just like in Exodus, what do they keep coming back to? I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you through the Red Sea. And and so we should always, our baptism is never a past tense thing any more than you got married, but your, but your wedding day isn't the only thing that defines your marriage. It's an ongoing event. And so too, I, I want everyone to carry their baptism with them too. And, and of course, uh, we have this hymnody that's so great on that. I am baptized into Christ. And that means something. It isn't just initiation. It's an initiation that brings me into a reality that is still very true today. So let me ask you this, just as I... You know, I, I think about my background. I think about you have some kid who is heavily involved in church. And let's say you have a kid who is raised in a devout Lutheran home. Then that same kid now goes through a formal catechesis, sometimes up to three years. Your church, I believe, is two. We just moved to three. You just moved to three. Yeah. That same kid in the evangelical church is going to be in youth group where you've said it before, I think. What did you say? Coke and... Coke and a joke. Coke and a joke, yeah. So it's Coke and a joke. The emphasis is upon having fun, not a lot of learning, but most of it is, again, a continuation of the stories as well as... An emphasis upon bringing your friends and reaching your friends for Jesus. Right. 
through through fun and game. We're going to be having a great time, so invite all of your friends. So again, here's the devout kid that grows up in the Lutheran church, going to liturgy, seeing his brother go through a catechesis, the conversations, all of this stuff taking place. Then you have the kid growing up in a home that's sacramentarian. They, they have nothing to do with the sacraments. They don't believe it. I guess what I'm trying to say is the mind of that now young teenager is being formed, is being groomed, not by coke and a joke, not by disconnected religious stories, not by evangelistic efforts. He or she is being now groomed, trained by use of the catechism, ergo the Bible. He is thinking biblically, which prepares him for this entire walk with the Lord until the day that he dies. It, it does, and, and that is not a joke. Um, that is, you, you can be like, well, who knows, right, how that's all going to play out. I, this applies in my own personal experience, and, and you don't even know it, that you're carrying these things with you. I remember uh, my freshman year of high school, our history teacher, I don't even know how he brought up the Ten Commandments, but they came up, and he said, well, I keep some of those, not all of them, and I being confirmed in eighth grade, I raised my hand. I said, oh, no, we can't keep any of the any of the commandments. And there happened to be another Lutheran kid in the class. I, I remember seeing him around, and we were like, yeah, you, you're you a murderer. And we know that. And he goes, goes what denomination, where, what religion are you? And I said, we're Lutheran. He goes, well, I guess I'm glad I'm not Lutheran. <laughs> but <laughs> No, 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 you're, no, let's continue with this, because yeah. this is really good. I was raised in a very, very moral home. I was at church from the time I think I was in third or fourth grade, two or three times a week. Church was the epicenter of our life. Even when my parents went through a really rough patch with some bad church leaders, and uh, they became disenfranchised from the church, it didn't affect me any. I continued to go. By this time now, I'm in youth group. I was there at that church five, six times a week. It was my life. So much so that even middle school and high school played such a small role because church, it was everything. And the people there and and all and the leaders and all of that. So your education was completely different from mine. Mine again, bunch of Bible stories, non-related emphasis upon evangelism, and let's have a lot of fun. And so that formal education, it didn't take place. And there's something very appealing about that relational idea of church, where uh, I'm going to church because that's where my relationships are, that's where my strength is, and, and all of those things. It's very appealing. And But again, what I found is, what happens in any relationship is well, kind of like what your parents said, right? Or what happened to your parents? Sometimes those relationships fail and break down. Right. And I would... I would hate to be a pastor where I felt the re- responsibility that I had was to maintain all these relationships. And you just, you, you don't even realize what you just walked into right there. Yeah. The evangelical church, because they don't have a small catechism, because they don't have a book of Concord, right? They've got their Bible. All they have is relationships. Yeah. And so the relationships are the glue that holds the entire church together. 
And believe me, the pastor, especially of a smaller congregation, if you've got a bigger congregation, you're kind of shielded from this, but somebody's doing it. In the smaller church, you are the one who holds everything together. Because it does not take much as sinners for that apple cart to get upset. Yeah, and failure is not an option. So if you've got to put in all that extra time and energy, and that's, I mean, you hear about these pastors that are just killing themselves trying to make the church work. And I find that when you're doing it, recognizing that I'm simply a servant doing what I've been called to do, preparing for Bible class, writing my sermon, visiting my shut-ins, bringing them, you know, the Lord's Supper and all those things. It's so much more joyful than saying, well, if I don't get this thing out on social media this week, uh, we may not have the attendance that we all planned for at the youth meeting. And oh boy, what a, what a stress to live under. And it's a stress, I think, that, that tempts us all. We want the church to be a bustling place, but that's an interesting aspect of the of the catechism too, uh, which I think is very different. You know, I, I live up north here in Topeka, and there's Mother Teresa Catholic Church. And every time I drive past there, there's got to be at least 10 cars in the parking lot, no matter what. So there's something going on there. I don't know what it is. And, and sometimes uh, I drive past Northland Christian Church, their big evangelical church up north. And there's always cars there in the parking lot. What's going on there? Because there are lots of times where you can drive past our parking <laughs> lot and you might see two cars there, me and Joe and the church secretary. Right, right? And right. that's about it. Right. And nobody's saying, what's going on there? Right. Which in its own way, you know, and sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish we had more stuff going on here. But then the catechism comes to me and it teaches me. And what it teaches me is, and, and I think this is a marvel, and it's it's kind of an addendum to the catechism, but it's part of the catechism itself. Let's We shouldn't uh, dismiss it that way. You know, as we're in this cycle of, of walking through, the Ten Commandments convict of us our sin, but the creed teaches about what, Christ, what, what God has done for us, especially in Christ. And then we, we are led into this life of prayer and worship, which brings us back into the Ten Commandments. Luther felt the need to ground how we lived out those Ten Commandments. And he did that in this thing called the Table of Duties. I find that a lot of catechism teaching, even in the church, doesn't get to this and talk about it as much as we should. Sure. Our lives as Christians are not primarily meant to be lived out in the church. Kind of like you as a youth, right? Five, six nights a week at church. And, and that's, that's, a, that's almost a new kind of monkishness that Luther was very opposed to, is saying, well, if I'm at church, I must be doing godly things, and that's that's right. Luther lived in that system, read the Psalter, chanted the Psalter all the way through every day, right? And was worshiping continually and, and working for the Lord continually, all of these things. And he said, it's garbage because God doesn't want us to lock ourselves away. He wants us to be out living our lives, and, and the table of duty then teaches us this most fundamental and beautiful of biblical doctrines, which fundamentally only Lutheranism, I think, understands correctly, and we struggle with it all the time because it's hard with our sinfulness, is vocation. Mm -hmm. And as a pastor who lives and breathes at the church, like I sit there sometimes, I was like, oh, if only these people would, would, would be at church more, doing more stuff, we'd, we'd, oh, nothing could stop us. But sometimes I realize what I'm asking them to do is neglect your role as wife and, and mother or husband and, and father uh, and, and come be at church more. Uh, with me. With me. Be miserable. Be with miserable me. with me. <laughs> and what a joy it is for me. Sometimes I just wake up and I'm like, I'm getting myself worked up in a tizzy. 
And these people are doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Boy, can I just trust God is working in their lives? Well, right. They're at home watching the Netflix. They're not teaching their kids the catechism. It's okay, though, to watch Netflix with your kids. Well, it is. And, and have I done a very good job of, of equipping them to teach their kids the catechism, even if they wanted to? I just I, I wanted to point out the joy of vocation and that it was so important that Luther made a special argument for it using Scripture to do it. I agree. And, you know, this truth of vocation flies right in the face of the evangelical sacrament, which is that of finding your purpose. Like, finding your purpose is the new Christian mantra. And I can guarantee you that the purposes for one's life aren't found in the table of duties. No, and, and, it, and it's sad because that mantra, which has overcome Christianity, is the mantra of the world. Um, and and the, proof of, the proof of that is very obvious. Just listen to any pop song. Um, you know, believe in yourself. You can do anything. Chase your dreams. Listen to your heart. What, what pop song, what Disney movie doesn't have that as its as its running theme instead <laughs> scripture comes at us because the table of duties are, are literally just quoting scripture on these various roles we find ourselves in yeah well, those those vocations come and go sure but what we find ourselves looking at is saying you know instead of chasing your dreams be a good mom what i know <laughs> and there's nothing well because you can't write a you can't write an exciting hollywood story about being a good mom no that you have to, you have to, you know, break free of these bonds. And by, the Bible teaches us is that those bonds are a wonderful thing because they're the ties that bind, right? That's a positive thing. It's, it's this, and, and we all of a sudden find ourselves growing it, growing together as the body of Christ through our vocation. Is there stuff to be done at the church? Of course there is. But I'm not a very good pastor if I'm, if I'm getting people into church to the neglect of their family. At the end of the day, I don't want people in the church because of a sense of guilt. I want them to be there out of a sense of joy. And that's one thing I would say about the catechism is I think you can teach it very dryly. But one of the great joys I've found in, in teaching kids is saying, boy, why shouldn't you come to church? And they all think, well, so I have to because it makes God happy. God's not, God doesn't have a chart up in heaven that he's giving you gold stars for every time you went to church or Sunday school. He, he wants you to come to church because he wants to give you himself. He wants you to come to him and, and be blessed. Why would you want to deny that to yourself? The catechism teaches that. And to let it teach that. Um, but, it, you know, it took me a while, even as a pastor, teaching the catechism to get to that place where I could right. get past the, not get past, because the text itself is so fundamental, but see in the text those tremendous truths that do ground us. And they do. So I was telling you about my life. Uh, well, hold on. You were talking about the Disney movies and how all these Disney movies, uh, you know, tell you to follow your dreams and, and listen to your heart and all this stuff. The world is constantly catechizing you. Constantly. It doesn't stop. And this catechism that the world gives is diametrically opposed to anything biblical. Some of the things actually sound biblical. That's what's so deceiving. But it truly is not. So if we're after the Lutheran mind, i.e. the Christian mind, then that catechism has got to become integrated into our thinking because the world's not going to stop. And when I think about that, 
I think you and I have such a little bit of time in front of these adults, in front of the congregation, or in front of the kids. And we're doing our best to get that information into them. And it's not enough time. You know, as soon as they step out of the church and into their cars and with their music and, you know, the list goes on and on, they're being catechized right now, not by the Lord, but by the world. What are you going to be catechized by? Right. And our defense against the world isn't to shun ourselves away from the world, but to be armed, right? The armor of God. Well, how do you fight darkness? Yeah, you shine light. With into, light, yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't run away from the darkness. Right. And, and, and yet that's so tempting to do. I, and I'm, I'm certainly not saying I think there are times when sometimes you do need to retreat into your Christian enclave. When you are assaulted by the devil, uh, coming to church and saying some prayers and, and, and worshiping, those things are good, right, are, and salutary. Good, yes. But you can't just stay there. You can't lock yourself away in the monastery and say, well, let the world go to hell. Go to hell. And I, but, I'm, but I'm safe here. And so we have to instill the faith in our kids. And, and how does God do that? Through word and sacrament. And again, the, the, the catechism is distilling that word down into a place where you can hang your hat on different phrases and, and hang your hat on, on things that carry you through. Um, one thing you pointed out is that we don't, as pastors, we don't have enough time, and it's true. We always find that kids, and, and they just release studies from this, from the Synod, uh, showing this. If your kid goes to a parochial Lutheran school, their faith has a better chance of surviving through the teenage college years than, uh, than if not. Um, so that's one place. If, you're, if you really want your kids to be grounded in this, be thinking about how can I bring a legitimate Lutheran education to my children? I understand that some people listening to this might find themselves in a place where they're like, well, I don't, I don't really have an opportunity for Lutheran education around me or, or something like that. Um, I think it's a burden on the church right now, um, the synod right now, to be thinking to itself, if kind of brick and mortar schools are too expensive for us to bring Lutheran education to our people, Maybe we need to be thinking outside the box about other ways to make that happen so that they are getting exposed more regularly. But two, on, on top of that, with, edu- with teachers, right? So we have pastors, we have teachers. The, th- the third person, and actually the main person that the catechism is directed at, and in fact, when you open up the catechism, I'm looking at section one, the Ten Commandments. And this is Luther. As the head of the family should teach them in a simple way to his household. Before you go on, do you know what that used to say? Mm-mm. It used to say, as the father. Oh, right. Okay. Well, They certainly. changed it to head of the household. Yeah. Well, there's some retreating there. I, I like the point that you make there. It is a fatherly responsibility. A priestly duty. Yeah. And if you are a single mom out there, that isn't to say that, that you don't have a role to play here. I think, you know, the challenge that we've always pointed out as a church is that you have to wear two hats, and one of those hats doesn't fit very well, um, is you need to be that role of, of father. And that's part of the reason why God has given us husbands. And I'm not, there's lots of reasons why you might be in that situation sure. that you're in. Sure, But just recognize the challenge of that. And hopefully the church, your church, is stepping up to help maybe fill that void in some way or another to have that male figure in there if the father's not around. Yeah, that is primarily a father to teach. Father to teacher, to pastor, 
it, it goes around. Of course, right now, it, it, the burden almost exclusively falls on the pastor. That's not enough. It's not. And it goes back to, as a pastor, am I even doing enough? I mean, other than kind of griping about it, <laughs> which is we, we pastors are really good at that. Especially Lutheran pastors. Well, good yeah, grief. we're good gripers. Instead of just griping at my parents, hey, be teaching them the catechism more, am I putting some stuff in their hands to help them? And that's one thing I started this year. It's, I, it's, I think it's very rough around the edges what I'm doing, but every week I send a little newsletter just by email to my parents that says, here's kind of some of the broad ideas that we're looking at. Here's some good questions that you can talk to your kid about. And here's here's some ways that you can help them to understand what's going on right. in this memory piece. Because there are pieces in there that are... In regard to the sermon? No, actually in regard to the text of the catechism itself that okay. we're looking at. Okay. Um, so like if we were looking at the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. Well, what does this mean? And I would say we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Well, I stress to them, that's a, this is going to be a really easy memory piece for them. Um, but you should really take the time to talk to them about, well, what does it mean to fear and love and trust and, and diving into the language of those texts? Because the more you talk about those things at home, even without maybe even strictly having them memorize it, just talking about it, those words are going to get into their head and get into their heart. And they'll, they'll, they'll come up for them eventually. Uh, one thing I'm doing now, I'm taking a little bit of time out of my Sunday, out of the Sunday school hour. And instead of teaching the adults straight away, I give 15 minutes over to the little kids and we listen to the catechism set to music. CPH has that. And music has a really strong way of getting language into our head and into our heart as well. I've been thinking, how good would it be if we just started teaching our littlest kids? And what is if you had a kid's choir and just you had them sing Luther's different hymns about the different chief parts? You think that those words aren't going to rest in their heart in some way and, and, and come forth for them? Which gets to the point that I've been, I've been trying to get back to uh, because I think it, I, just, I just want people to understand that this had an, an impression on my life because it wasn't just this high school thing because, you know, in high school – we drifted away from the church. My my parents got mad at the pastor. We weren't going to church regularly. And I was certainly living a life that was not dedicated to uh, good, obedient living according to the Ten Commandments. I, I would never say my faith died, but my, my faith wasn't being fed, and it was withering. And then God, in his wonderful grace, put a, put a woman in my life in college who was a faithful, church-going woman, eventually married her. And she said, you know, if we're going to be seeing each other we should go to church and I you know and I knew it like I had that nagging guilt in the back I should be going to church but my kids can't bring myself to do it and I said okay that's great well my church has uh, we can go to my church on Sunday she goes you don't even go to your church what are you doing I don't want (laughs) to I go to church you should come to my church but her church was not Lutheran yeah and I said but your church doesn't do the sacraments right and she was like how on earth would you even know and I said (laughs) Because in eighth grade, Pastor Eckhart taught me there you that, that the Lord that the this is the body and blood, and that you guys teach represent. She goes, well, we do teach that, but that's that's you know, and then we had we, we had these tremendous discussions, talking about the Lord's Supper, talking about baptism, just talking about all these things. And I'd, I'd go to her church a couple of times, and I'm like, praise band stuff and and all of that. She goes, well, there's you know, you, you, and but she'd come to my church. She goes, it's a little stuffy. I said, yeah, it is a little stuffy, but it's good. And I think it's so neat how somehow I had been wandering away from the Lord as a lost sheep for a good decade. 
And yet a seed planted. And, you know, I think by then Pastor Eckhart had died. He's a a saint in heaven now. And, you know, did he know that this guy was, that that he had, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. I mean, he gets to heaven, he's like, really? Ben Oakry? Who? Okay, well, good on you, God, because I, I didn't think I had done anything there. And but the Lord uses this sacramentarian, this girl, yeah, right, to bring you back to the waters of your baptism. Yeah, and of course, because I want to, because we want to be serious about our faith, I'm, I'm digging deep and getting it and getting into these things, and and so my faith deepened just as her faith was deepening, and. And uh, as sh- uh, iron sharpens iron, uh, so it goes. And, and then you both go to seminary together, and so she's able to continue these theological discussions with you, and now multiple people. Yeah. And she now turns out to be more Lutheran than you. Oh, as is often the case with adult converts, uh, because they came over with great a great deal of intention, whereas I was just kind of swept into it from my youth. So the catechism matters. Sure. And, and it matters to the life of faith in, in, your, in your kids, even though you don't maybe necessarily see it right away. Right. And so, okay, so here's my struggle coming in from the outside. One can look and see how here these children are taught these wonderful truths that we're hoping that they're going to stick and hold on to for the rest of their life. It's going to be as the, um, the parable of the ten virgins, the uh, five wise and the five foolish, in that what we teach them with the catechism is going to be the oil that burns up until Christ returns. So why is there such a exodus of these precious souls once they're confirmed? Again, they've done some demographic studies for the LCMS comparing them to other denominations, and there's some surprising stuff in there. One, we're better at evangelism than even the Baptists are. True. That's surprising. Yes. But it's true. Number two, our youth stick with us through high school, which is actually different than most denominations. We still experience the drop-off, but it waits till college. And I think that that demographic study is very useful so that we're not trying to find solutions to things that aren't actually problems. Okay. So in my mind, it can't be the fact that we have weak youth group stuff because that's not when we have the drop-off. It's when we send them off into college. I would say that the challenge that we're facing is uh, exactly what we were talking about earlier. The catechization of the world is powerful and mighty. They go to college, and because perhaps they haven't been properly taught about the blessings of weekly worship. They, they see it as an obligation or a duty, uh, perhaps even a, a work. Um, I think that, that thinking can fall into all of our minds. It's, it's very easy to turn your back on that. And again, just like you know, you've been going to the gym, you've been going to the gym, and all of a sudden you take two weeks off, and it's really hard to get back to the gym again, right? It's and it's just like for me, right? I knew I should have been going to church. It's like it was there in my head, but I was never going to say to my friends on Saturday night, hey, guys, I got to go home at 10 because I got church in the morning. <laughs> right? I was like, no, I'm going to go out and have fun with my friends. And then I oversleep because I've been out too late and, and all of those things. And I said, well, that's another Sunday I missed. But, you know, I can just add it to the pile that's growing over here. And then faith fades. And... What used to happen is uh, uh, my understanding is kind of as college became more prominent in the 60s and 70s, this was the pattern. 
kids would walk away from the faith or at least walk away from the church. But then they'd get married. Their very first kid, they're like, I got to get this kid baptized. And so they're back in church. Right. And plugged back in because at least they understood that. Even now, that's getting short-circuited. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, our one, people are getting married much later, and so they have a greater gap in their worship relation. And so when they have their first kid, maybe church is such a distant memory for them that they're just like, well, I mean, it'd be nice to get this child baptized. I've never talked to a person and said, I'd like to baptize your child. And they were like, I don't want to baptize my kid. I, I, everybody's like, yeah, no, I know I should. But then, you know, they it, they struggle to, to make even that time for it. But But then, yeah, that too is that baptizing – your child isn't a priority like it once was, right? I want I want this child, but I think we've lost this sense too that part of part of growing up right is growing a child in the faith. I think we've bought into this very worldly idea that your child can grow up right without, you know, and and that's not and that's not even the the fundamentals of the faith. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins, and that must make you right. Just raising them up to you know be a decent person because there is a moral aspect to what church is instilling in us we and that's the third use of the law and kind of pressing that upon us and i think that's that's what brings a lot of parents back it isn't boy i don't want my kid to go to hell because we've been taught to kind of push that aside but they've been thinking to themselves boy i don't want my kid to grow up and be a, a criminal and church is a good place for them to avoid that but even now we don't have that sense no we don't so how do you how do you combat that? I don't think it's with more youth groups. I, I want them to have, I want our kids to to be growing in relationships. I don't want them to feel like little islands. That's that, that's the value of youth group to me, is simply that they're learning they're learning about other kids and and hopefully finding a way to talk to other kids, growing into the body of Christ as it were. That's important, and and that's why I think uh, youth group has a place in the church. But when we say, well, the the youth group is what keeps kids in church. I mean, that's putting the cart before the horse. What keeps kids in church is us instilling the faith in them. And so let's do a more diligent job of having the faith discussions at home, of having the parents step into that role a little bit more. Because this is something else that's happened too. We've farmed out all of our obligations as parents. So, you know, well, I want my kids to be smart. I send them to school. I want my kids to be moral and religious or whatever is going on in their head. I send them to church, right? And we just farm them out. I, and what's happened in this, what used to be was the school is helping me educate my children. Now it's the school's job to educate my children. And I may not have a role in that at all. Sure. In fact, if you dare to send my kid home with homework, I'm going to complain about it because I'm a busy person. You educate them. I'll earn the money. And let's just be happy. And and I think that mindset has crept into the church quite a bit too. Um, that isn't to say that all the obligation falls on the parent. They need help. And that's why God's given them pastors and teachers and things like that. Let me talk about one of the practical things that we're doing at St. John's. And there's a couple of churches that have followed suit with this. You were talking about the practical things that you do. And you mentioned as well about the classical ways of development or learning. Starting with the grammar stage, Pastor Bruss and I have developed a it's a quiz competition with 10-point, 20-point, and 30-point questions. Once you get into the 20- and 30-point questions, you are drawing word-for-word word from the small catechism. We don't feel like we have solved the problem. It's just our attempt, like your attempt, to try to get the small catechism 
into the minds of our little ones so that when they actually do come into formal catechesis, at least there's something there that we can work with. Uh, and hopefully with junior Lutherans, which is what we call it, and if anybody is interested in this, give me a call. I'll tell you all about it. But with junior Lutherans, several other churches are doing the same thing. And then not only on Wednesday nights do we have coaches and kids who are learning these question and answers, but then they're competing with other churches. And the whole desire is to begin the catechetical instruction earlier as opposed to later. Right, and because that it, it's too much for me as a pastor— um, I can spend an entire hour. I mean, I get the kids for an hour, and you get to some of these longer chunks of the catechism, uh, like the articles and their meaning. If you've got enough kids, you're like, I'm literally giving them over my whole hour to simply working on memorization, and I haven't informed what they've memorized at all. And so, yeah, and, and when are they better at memorizing? when they're in middle school age or when they're in grammar school age, right? right? And, Younger. and so let's, let's get them memorizing it. And I, and, and again, like I, our, our desire is for it to be a word for word memorization. What I find is, um, unless you're delving back into this time and time again, you're going to have little fragments that float around and be like, Oh yeah, that sounds familiar. And if somebody does the meeting, you'll be like, Oh yeah, that, that rings a bell. Um, and even, you know, some of those phrases do just stick with you. This is most certainly true. We should fear and love God. I, I would say most people that come out of a, a confirmation class with, with any focus on memory at all, those things are at least going to stick with them. And, and those are good things because they can at least lead you to a question and say, uh, what is most certainly true? Maybe I need to go back into my catechism. What right. does it mean to fear and love God? You know, it's really to what you're doing there isn't drastically different than, say, the old Baptist uh, Awana kind oh, of. Oh, sure. Yeah, here's your, here's the memory verses. Your, your here's the memory. Here's the Bible verses you're memorizing, and here's your star. What I love about Lutheranism, though, is we're not content to just say, "Hey, you've got a Bible verse in your head that you can pull out whenever." Good for you. That's just grammar. Right. What we want to do is take that and say. Boy, let's add a lot of meaning to that right. so that you actually have a this thing in your head that actually is put in a place where you're like, oh, right? Like, so when you're in, when you're actually encountering a struggle in your life, um, and boy, there are lots of struggles out there. Like, so sexuality, that's a huge thing. Well, what can I do? I can go to the sixth commandment. And, and what does it mean to um, lead a sexually pure and decent life? And, and all that you say and do. Yeah. And husbands and wives love and honor each other. I mean, th th those are things like those those words don't mean anything in themselves if you just memorize them. But going back to what you said, Awana, this was done in a reaction to the Coke and the joke. Yeah. It's not like Awana has replaced Coke and a joke youth groups. It's just getting them earlier. It's putting all of these verses in their head, and they're competing, not, not like junior Lutherans, but nonetheless they're competing with one another. But then once they reach, as you're saying, there is no formal catechesis. We're not going to build on what they learned in Awana. We're now going to release them to the Coke and the joke. We're going to release them to the youth group. Yeah. So the point is, is yes, that seed has been planted. And I'm not suggesting that there can't be any sort of growth there. But for the most part, it's going to lie dormant. Yeah. Well, and, and their takeaway is going to be that this isn't actually serious. Um, and I think that's, that's often why the Coke and a Joke youth group approach does lead to them falling off in high school. 
so kind of talking more broadly, I think one of the struggles that we have in the church is we are really good at teaching our kindergarten age kids. Really good. We, we instill the faith. Those kindergartners, we, kn- we, we know how to kind of boil down the faith for them and kind of give them that really simple message, right? Jesus loves me. I think the challenge I see in our Sunday school and thus in our homes and, and, and everything is that when do we and how do we build on that message? And I find that oftentimes a fourth grader is getting the exact same kind of stuff that the kindergartner got. And what's going to be the takeaway from that finally? Well, this this Christianity stuff is just for kindergartners. Right. Um, what happens in the Lutheran church is we, we have this kindergarten level, and then all of a sudden you get to fifth, sixth, seventh grade, and what happens is you, you run into the buzzsaw that is your pastor. <laughs> and your pastor's like, all right, I know that you haven't learned anything in the last – five years so here let me just cram it all into your head in a year or two and really like i want to give you a whole you know i want to give you my seminary education right um and 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 just pack it in there so let's find a way for us to kind of more systematically grow these children into the faith the the way to do that is through the catechism with that being said where do you see our time together going would you like to walk us through over the course of however many weeks would you like to walk us through the the six chief parts yeah i think so and into the table of duties i think the the mindset i have coming into this is that i want this to be another tool uh, for people to be able to use to help them understand that catechism and perhaps not just impart knowledge for themselves but impart knowledge to others especially i'm thinking about parents right um to their to their kids is that because one of the things is uh, the parents don't actually get to hear this stuff that much. And so to hear what, what how we understand these things and, and, and to kind of grasp that, I think, can be extremely useful. So what I like to do is, yeah, just start at the beginning, walk through the commandments, walk through the creed, walk through the Lord's Prayer, and, and let's look at some of the grammar. Let's look at some of the ideas that are in there. And what we're going to find is that Luther just wrote a, a, a genius peace um, he, he wrote it with the intention of us memorizing it he, he put patterns in there that make it easier to memorize it can seem very daunting but it, it's not as hard as it as it might seem I will say this and 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 I try to put as much energy into this as I can is learning the vocabulary because I find that if a kid doesn't know what a word means they're just memorizing a gobbledygook word it shows when they have to recite back to me sure um, and so, and you can't memorize something if you don't know what it means. And but once you have it memorized, you can start informing the meaning. What what is, uh, what is my reputation? I mean, that's just a word on the page until you actually get taught what that means. And that's what I'd like to unpack. Good. So next time we will talk about the Ten Commandments. Yeah. Then I look forward to it. You've been listening to the Pluck Chicken Podcast with your hosts, Pastors John Bruss and Devin Kern. To discover more, go to thepluckedchicken.com or stjohnlcmstopeka.org. Hold on one second. Triple A's here. Hold on. Okay. For what? Triple A. For what? I locked my keys in my car. Oh. (laughs)